Welcome to WADA, ADA Live Talk Radio, brought to you by Southeast ADA Center, your leader for information, training, and guidance on the Americans with Disabilities Act. And here's your host. Good afternoon and welcome to WADA, ADA Live. On behalf of the Southeast ADA Center, the Burton Blatt Institute at Syracuse University, and the ADA National Network, welcome to the 18th episode of WADA Live. My name is Rebecca Williams, and I am the Information Specialist for the Southeast ADA Center. Our guests today are Graham Sisson, ADA Coordinator for the State of Alabama, and Dan Kessler, Executive Director of Disability Rights and Resources in Birmingham, Alabama. Our topic today is When Attorneys Come Knocking, How Accessible Is Your Business? ADA Live listening audience, you can submit your questions about our topic at any time on adalive.org. Graham and Dan, welcome to our show. It's good to have you here. Um, Graham, I want to start with you. I've been reading about something called, being called drive-by lawsuits, where someone files a lawsuit against a business and demands a settlement from the business owner to avoid going to court. Have you heard about this, and is there something um, business owners can do to avoid being sued? Sure, and I'm very familiar with this. Uh, a drive-by is basically where an individual with a disability doesn't actually access the services of the business but drives by the business and notices that there's a violation such as lack of accessible parking or signage and then sues the uh, the individual business in court without any contact with the business prior to the lawsuit being filed. There is no guarantee a business won't be sued, but businesses do have an obligation to make their goods and services accessible to people with disabilities. And of course, the information that we're providing today is not binding legal advice. And businesses should do a walkthrough of their business premises to identify barriers and a plan for removing them. Great, thanks for that clarification. Um, As you know, Graham, I provide technical assistance on the ADA for callers from the Southeast region. So I thought maybe what I would do is just run by some of the questions um, that I've received regarding lawsuits, and we can get your take on them then. So here's my first question. Are business owners supposed to get a warning before being sued for not being accessible? The ADA does not require a prior warning or notice before businesses can be sued in federal court for ADA violations. Okay, great, thanks. Um, How can a person determine if their business is accessible? It it depends on the type of facility, whether it's an existing building or new construction or or significant renovations. There are different building standards that apply to each of those types of facilities. The ADA generally has two building standards that may apply. The ADA Accessibility Guidelines, which were promulgated in 1991, or the 2010 Accessible Design Standards that became mandatory on March 15, 2012. Free copies of these standards can be found on the Access Board website at www.access-board.gov. These standards set out the required dimensions for building components or features such as accessible parking spaces, counters, and restrooms. There are other requirements under Title III of the Americans with Disabilities Act, and we'll talk about these later in the show. Oh, great. Thanks for, thanks for that information. So actually, I, if I understand right then, just to recap real quick, 
a business owner would need to know what year their facility was built to look to see which which uh, standards they would need to follow. Correct. That that is correct. Okay, great. So, um, where where would you suggest a business owner begin to to, to see if they're accessible? How how do they go about doing that? Uh, generally, the businesses should first see if their parking meets ADA standards, uh, such as having the required number of accessible park spaces with the proper dimensions. Then the business owner should check the path to travel from the parking to the building entrance, and then the entrance itself, then the path to travel from the entrance to the services being offered by the business, including uh, restrooms and water fountains. So we, we start with uh, the parking, and then can I get into the facility? And once I get in, then we, we look at, once I'm in the facility, can I get around in there? That's correct. Great, That's great. So I also get questions about things like um, if I'm renovating one particular area of a business, say somebody's ordering a check-in desk area or expanding their dining room, uh, does that mean they have to do anything for ADA accessibility when they're doing those kind of alterations? Yes, uh, those would be uh, alterations that would affect usability more than just uh, cosmetic change, such as uh, repainting the walls. Uh, when these areas are being altered, and there's, they're also what, what are called uh, primary function areas of business, and when they're being altered or renovated since uh, March 15, 2012, they must be brought up to the 2010 ADA standards. So can you explain a little bit? I've heard the term, or people have used the term, readily achievable barrier removal. So does this apply even when a building is not being renovated? Yes. Uh, and basically, readily achievable barrier removal applies to existing buildings. An existing building, generally under the ADA, is a building built before January 26, 1992, existing under the 1991 standard, existing under the uh, 2010 ADA standards was built before March 15, 2012. And uh, these uh, readily achievable only applies to barrier removal in existing buildings. And it generally means easily accomplishable and without much difficulty or expense. And of course, it's on a case-by-case -case or individualized basis. Uh, and it would depend on the size of the business and the resource whether or not removing a particular barrier would be readily achievable. Examples of readily achievable barrier removal would be like restriping parking spaces to make them, you know, wide enough to be accessible parking spaces, putting in a small ramp, but not moving a, a wall or installing an elevator. Those would not be examples of readily achievable barrier removal. And then when renovations are made that affect usability, not just, as I mentioned before, cosmetic changes, such renovations must be made according to the 2010 standards because we're past that March 15, 2012. Where renovations touch a primary function area, some of the ones we mentioned before, like the check-in desk or area or the dining room, all elements within that area should be made accessible to the extent that such changes do not exceed more than 20% of the total cost of renovation. This is what is known as the 20% disproportionality rule. So there's two types of uh, times when barriers can be removed. It's when uh, a business owner, it's readily achievable to do it, and then also they need to look at when renovations are being made, whether or not there's barriers in, in that area that's being renovated. Yes. Great. ADA Live listening audience, if you have a question, 
for Graham or Dan later. You can submit it at any time at our online forum at adalive.org. And now, a word from our sponsors. The Alabama Governor's Office on Disabilities mission is to facilitate the inclusion of Alabamians with disabilities in education, employment, housing, transportation, health care, and leisure. The Office on Disability maintains a toll-free ADA hotline at one 800 205-9985-VOICE and 1-888-574-2257-TTY. Calls are confidential. The Office on Disability also offers free ADA training and surveys of buildings and facilities for ADA compliance. All information and service provided are non-binding and do not create an attorney-client relationship. Welcome back to ADA Live. Graham, here's a classic question I get a lot. I thought my business was grandfathered. It was built before the ADA was signed in 1990. Of course, uh, the answer is no. There's no such thing as being grandfathered under the ADA. All business owners have the responsibility to remove architectural barriers when readily achievable do so or something similar. Another way to state that is all facilities are covered, a different standard may apply, though. There may be differences in which access standards apply when the business was built. Thanks, Graham, for that clarification. Sure. Now, if a business owner eliminates all physical access barriers, can they still be sued under the ADA? Of course, the attorney in me says yes, and the reason I say that, there may be other issues that are non-physical in nature, such as policy issues um, that a business may occur. So just because your business doesn't have any physical barriers, there could be other types of barriers that you need to remove, such as communication barriers. So business owners need to think about more than just physical access. They also have to look at how they provide their services to their customers. Absolutely, exactly. Great. Thanks for that. I'd like to turn to Dan Kessler, Disability Rights and Resources in Birmingham, Alabama. Dan, thanks for joining us today. We've been focusing on discrimination due to a business being physically inaccessible to people with disabilities. Will you talk about other ways customers can be discriminated against? Sure. It's great to be on the, uh, on the program today, Becky. I want to thank you for inviting me to join you. Uh, yes, the ADA uh, is, is more than just uh, physical access. Uh, I think there's a misconception in some places where, uh, where, where some, uh, some businesses may think it's limited just to physical access, but, but AD, the ADA Title III goes beyond just physical access. Uh, to include uh, issues like effective communication. Um, also, uh, Title III of the ADA requires that uh, businesses allow service animals uh, onto their premises in the public areas. And, and uh, Title III of the ADA also may require that a business modify their policies to ensure that they're not discriminatory. And the Title III of the ADA also um, requires that uh, any sort of uh, uh, sort of eligibility criteria that might somehow discriminate or have the effect of discriminating against people with disabilities, that those be eliminated. And the ADA also prohibits uh, any sort of what you might call disability surcharges. Wow, that's, that's a lot for business owners to think about. Thanks for expanding on those responsibilities, Dan. Um, so can you give us some examples of some of these other requirements? Say, let's start with effective communication. What does that actually mean? Sure. Well, Becky, sim- simply put, 
effective communication means that whatever is written or spoken must be as clear and understandable to people with disabilities as it is for people who do not have disabilities. And this is important because there are some people with disabilities that have disabilities um, have disabilities that affect how they communicate. And so people who have disabilities that affect hearing, seeing, speaking, reading, or writing, or understanding may use different ways to communicate than people who do not. So there are ways, though, uh, that you can provide equal access to communications for people with disabilities. And these different ways are provided through what's, what are called auxiliary aids and services. And so that's sort of a mouthful, but you may wonder what is an auxiliary aid and service. And those are devices or services that enable effective communication. And those might include things like qualified interpreters, and I use the word qualified because that's the ADA does refer to qualified interpreters, uh, note takers, or a somebody uh, to uh, provide material in written format. It could be a screen reader for somebody to be able to access a, um, uh, a computer. It could also be what are called CART services, that's C-A-R-T services, or computer-aided real-time transcription. It could also include, uh, another example of auxiliary aids and services could include telephone handset amplifiers and uh, also assistive listening systems. And these are just a few examples, and there are many, many more that we could get into, but, but I think this gives you an idea of uh, some of the different kinds of things we're referring to when we talk about uh, auxiliary aids and services. Thanks a lot, Dan. I didn't realize so much was involved there in effective communication. You mentioned service animals. Can you just hit on that a little bit about how that comes into play with businesses? Sure, sure. Now, now service animals, and and there have been some guide, some uh, uh, some guidance that's that's come out over the last couple of years around service animals. But but service animals are dogs that are individually trained to do work or perform a task for people with disabilities. So that's key that uh, that the uh, service animal is a dog that's individually trained to do work or perform a task. So. Uh, and some examples of such work or tasks might include guiding somebody who's blind. Uh, it could include uh, a, a dog or a service animal that alerts uh, a person who might be deaf. Um, some service animals would pull somebody who's using a wheelchair. Uh, other service animals would alert and protect a person who's having a seizure. Um, there are even other service animals, again, that are individually trained to uh, calm a person with PTSD during an anxiety attack. So keep in mind that service animals are working animals. They're not pets and should be treated as such. Now, under the ADA, businesses that serve the public generally must allow the service animal to accompany people with disabilities in all areas of the facility where the public is normally allowed to go. Um, so uh, if it's in a hotel that has a bar attached to it, uh, then the service animal should be allowed to accompany the individual with a disability to the bar. Um, now, when it's not obvious, 
what service an animal provides, the staff may ask two questions, and they're very narrow questions that a business owner can ask. Number one, is the dog a service animal required because of a disability? So it's related to a disability. And then number two, what work or task has the dog been trained to perform? So those are so those are the limitations in terms of the questions that a business owner or manager might ask. And so uh, you can't, as a business owner, ask whether or not, for example, to look ask for certification or some sort of uh, so, some sort of documentation that that indicates that 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 a uh, dog has been trained as a service animal. That's not something that you can that you can require. You cannot require that uh, uh, that an individual provide you with any sort of medical documentation about their disability. That's not something that would be permitted under the uh, under the ADA. Now, now I did say that service animals are dogs that are in individually trained. Uh, there are also uh, miniature horses that, in some cases, may also be trained to do work or perform tasks for people with disabilities. But quite frankly, Becky, I've not seen too many of those, and I think uh, business owners and the general public are much more uh, much more familiar with uh, dogs as service animals. So, so you know, the one exception, I guess, then would be that to, I guess, service dogs would be uh, miniature horses, again, that are individually trained to do work or perform tasks. Thanks for that quick synopsis of service animals. I know I, I get a lot of calls about service animals. That, as, as you said, I've never seen a miniature horse, but that, that is in the, in, in the regs, like you said. Um, just want listeners to know service animals, uh, we did two programs before, so if people out there want to get more information on service animals, they could listen to the archived shows number five and number 14, both dealt with service animals more in depth. Now, Dan, sometimes a business owner will want to know if they could charge a person um, for making their facility more accessible or charge somebody for an interpreter. Is this, is this permitted? Well, that's a, that's a great question. That's a great question. And you're right, that does come up from time to time. We see that uh, occasionally. Um, a business owner may not charge an individual for the cost of a disability-related business expense. So, Becky, an example that you gave, it would be a violation of the ADA to charge a deaf person for a sign language interpreter. The business is responsible for paying for interpreting services. So that would be one of those examples where, uh, where a business cannot, uh, I guess, what you might say, uh, charge some sort of disability-related expense. So that would, uh, that, would be, that would be prohibited. So a business owner is required to provide the accommodation. Great. Good to know. ADA Live listening audience, you can submit your questions about our topic at any time on adalive.org. And now, a word from our sponsors. Disabilities Rights and Resources mission is to power people with disabilities to fully participate in the community. We encourage people with disabilities to support one another in reaching their own independent living goals. We also promote equal access and disability rights through advocacy and public awareness activities. Disabilities Rights and Resources serve Jefferson, Walker, Shelby, St. Clair, and Blount Counties. For more information, visit their website at www.drradvocates.org. Welcome back to ADA Live. Now, sometimes a business might have a general policy, say like um, 
you have to show a state driver's license if you're going to write a check. And I know that might unintentionally discriminate against people who cannot drive due to a disability. And so sometimes I think, you know, you tell the business owner, oh, this is discriminatory and this is why, and they say, oh, I didn't realize that, we'll change our policy. But there really is an awful lot um, within the ADA for business owners to learn about. Where would you suggest business owners turn to get help in understanding their responsibilities to customers with disabilities? Well, you're right, Becky. Things can get complicated fast. And uh, But the good news is there's a lot of help out there. There are a lot of resources available for the business business owner and operator. And I think one of the uh, one of the one of the uh, resources that a uh, business owner might want to look at are the Centers for Independent Living. I think they're a great source of information on the ADA. And uh, centers, centers for Independent Living are nonprofit uh, entities or agencies that, that serve people with disabilities and have a wide range of knowledge uh, on the ADA. And so you can find a, a – and there are CILs in all states – uh, and you can find a CIL nearest you by visiting the National Council on Independent Living website. And their web address is www.ncil.org. So I think the, the, uh, the, the Centers for Independent Living are, are a great resource of information on the ADA. And there are also 10 regional ADA centers throughout the United States um, you can reach them by calling 1-800-949-4232. We are, here at Disability Rights and Resources, we are the state affiliate for the Southeast ADA Center, and that is the state affiliate for the state of Alabama. Also, if you happen to be in Alabama, you can call the Governor's Office on Disability, uh, another great resource, and their phone number is... 334-293-7189. Great resources for businesses. Thanks, Dan. Uh, now, I know you previously gave us some information about general responsibilities of businesses. Now, I want to turn back actually to facility access and whether or not a business is physically accessible to folks with mobility impairments. And I know one thing business owners need to look at is what we call the 2010 ADA Standards for Accessible Design. How would a business owner go about determining whether or not they meet those standards for accessible design? Well, I would, I would refer the business owner to the, uh, to the 2010 Standards for Accessible Design. And you can find those, find those uh, 2010 Standards for Accessible Design by going online, uh, go to www.ada.gov, and there's a tremendous amount of detail on those standards that you can find. Then another great tool is the ADA checklist for existing facilities, and you can find that find that checklist by going to www.adachecklist.org. I would also like I'd mentioned before the, the Centers for Independent Living and. And that is, uh, you may want to consider working with your local center for independent living. Uh, many CILs, and that's a term that uh, sort of the shorthand abbreviation for Centers for Independent Living, CIL, many SILs uh, conduct accessibility surveys, and, and they can point you in the right direction for the resources you might need to make your facility and services accessible 
to people with disabilities. And uh, also, I think it's a good idea to ask your customers with disabilities about their experiences with your place of business. I think you'll find that most people are willing to provide you with feedback. And if you seek out that feedback, I think most people are going to be more than willing to, uh, to provide that to help you improve your business. Um, I, but I think the key is to really be proactive. And that is to think of this as a process uh, as a way to bring in customers, not just something you have to comply with, but, but it's, something, it's a way of bringing in a new customer, uh, customer base. And, uh, and how do you go about making those? And, and then you want to think about how you want to, how you want to make those customers happy so they'll return. Uh, so, again, I think the key here is take action before you end up in court. Try to be proactive about it. Try to take action and, uh, and, and work with people in your communities who know, who know about the ADA, who know about the ADA and know about what it takes to make a, a facility and program and service accessible. And I think if you start with people in your community, uh, you can find some really great resources to help you along your uh, along the way to help your business become more accessible. You know, I think you made an excellent point, Dan, when you mentioned, you know, ask customers with disabilities what they find accessible and where they may have difficulty because, um, you know, that's that's who this is impacting. And so that's a, that was a great suggestion there. And I also want to, again, endorse Centers for Independent Living. They can be a great resource for businesses. Um, and you know, in business, Dan, everything comes down to the dollar in the long run. So do you know, is there any sort of financial assistance for business owners when they're looking at doing structural changes to make their facility accessible to their customers with disabilities? Yes, and I think that's the, that's the good news, Becky, that there are tax incentives uh, that are available to small businesses to help cover the cost of making improvements. Uh, one is a tax credit. And the other is the tax deduction. Uh, the tax credit can be used for uh, architectural adaptations, for example, to construct a ramp, uh, acquiring equipment, and also services such as a sign language interpreter. So if you're a business and you have a customer come in who needs a sign language interpreter and, and you pay for that sign language in interpreter, uh, there's a very nice, very generous tax credit that you can use to recoup some of your costs. There's also a second, uh, uh, a second incentive, and that's a tax deduction that can be used for architectural or transportation adaptations. Um, and keep in mind that you can take these deductions and credits annually. Um, and you may be able to use uh, both credits and deductions. Uh, uh, so I think that's something that uh, a small business owner, as you said, you know, things do sometimes boil down to the dollars that are available. And so as you're going about making some of these modifications to your structures or making providing accommodations, know that there are some tax incentives out there. So if you uh, – and a real easy way to find that information, Becky, is just to go online and Google tax deductions and the ADA, and you'll find a lot of information that comes up. And since we're now in – I guess in the tax season, we're right in the middle of the tax season right now. Um, uh, if, uh, if, a, if a business owner is looking at uh, taking advantage of some of these tax incentives, they may also want to look at the Form 8826, and that's uh, and Form 
26 gives you instructions on on how to uh, take advantage of the disabled tax credit. So, but I would encourage you to speak to your accountant or your tax preparer to get uh, to provide more information about these uh, about these incentives. That is definitely good news for businesses. Thanks, Stan. And, and as we had mentioned, you and I earlier about centers for independent living and having businesses reach out to centers. Would you tell us a little bit about what uh, your center, Disability Rights and Resources, has done in your local community to assist businesses? Sure, sure, I'd be glad to. Um, we have uh, we've provided uh, ADA information to to small businesses, actually businesses of all sizes for that matter. Uh, we've provided training. Uh, we've provided technical assistance for businesses in the Birmingham area. We have also conducted accessibility surveys at those businesses, and we've made suggestions based upon our findings. And of course, we like to, uh, when we go out and do those surveys, we, we like to get those business owners involved in that process as much as we can. And so we have assisted businesses of all sizes, big and small. So uh, that's just what we're doing here in the Birmingham area, and you can find similar, as I mentioned before, uh, centers for independent living in all, all parts of the country that are doing uh, a lot of different kinds of uh, different kinds of work with businesses to help them make their facilities to come in compliance with the ADA and to make their uh, to expand their customer base. Well, it certainly sounds like your Center for Independent Living is a great resource for your community there in Birmingham. Graham and Dan, we want to thank you for being here with us today to talk about how business owners can check to see if their facility is accessible and if their employees know how to provide good customer service to customers with disabilities. We'd like to see if either of you have a one key point you'd like to leave with our listeners this afternoon. Graham? Sure. And I would say to businesses, please don't take a wait-and-see approach. Many businesses are, are thinking, perhaps, I've never seen a person with a disability around here, or I've never had any complaints, therefore I must be in compliance. And, again, I would... Uh, I would find some individual with disability in the community and invite them to come to your business and see if they have any issues with your place of business so that you can know ahead of time and you can try to, to make efforts to remove those barriers. And one other thing I'd like to mention to businesses that we didn't talk about today is many businesses will get a certificate of occupancy from the local uh, building code authority. And many businesses think that having the certificate of occupancy means that they meet ADA standards. Most local entities do not measure for ADA accessibility. Most of the local building codes do not cover that. And, the, and in the rare cases where are covered, it's a building code that's been certified by the Department of Justice as meeting ADA standards. And there's not too many in the country that have done that. Of course, people with disabilities our customers and think of this as a win-win situation that uh, that you can you win by getting another customer the person with disability wins also by getting access to your business that was an excellent point Graham about the certificate of occupancy I, I get calls on that and, and many times you're right business owners do think if they get that certificate that that means they're compliant so I'm glad you brought that up Dan what would you like to add yeah I'd like to I'd like to add that uh, uh, I'd like the business owners to know that they're not alone, that there's quite a bit of help that's available for them to make their facilities and services accessible to people with disabilities. 
and there's a tremendous amount of information and resources and checklists and manuals available online. But be sure to reach out to people with disabilities in your community and organizations such as Centers for Independent Living. And finally, I would like to uh, make sure that uh, business owners uh, talk to their managers and their staff so that they have the training and the expertise that they'll need to make their businesses accessible to ensure full and equal access for all, and in the meantime, expand their customer base. Good point, Dan, I think, with adding to make sure that managers and staff understand how to provide good customer service to their customers with disabilities. Sometimes we just focus on is the building accessible, and you can have an accessible building, but if your staff aren't welcoming to your customers with disabilities, that accessible building is not going to keep bringing people back in. You've got to have staff that know how to treat all customers the same. Uh, at this time, I would like to thank our guest speakers, Graham Sisson, the Executive Director for the Alabama Governor's Office on Disability, and Dan Kessler, the Executive Director of Disability Rights and Resources in Birmingham, Alabama. And thank you also to our, our, our ADA listening audience. We invite folks to celebrate the 25th anniversary of the ADA. This is a big year for us. July 26, 2015 is the 25th anniversary of the Americans with Disabilities Act, we invite everyone to be a part of the nationwide ADA 25 celebration. Please go online and sign the ADA pledge. Now, this pledge is not a money pledge. It's just a pledge saying, I support the ADA. We're glad it's here. We believe in access for everybody. We invite you to explore the ADA anniversary toolkit. It's packed full of ideas and information. Please learn, connect, and share the ADA anniversary at www. ADAanniversary.org. The Southeast ADA Center is grateful for your support and participation in this series of WADA Live Broadcast. Join us next month on the first Wednesday, which will be April 1st. No fooling, we'll be there. See you next month on WADA Live. Thank you for listening to ADA Live Talk Radio. Brought to you by the Southeast ADA Center. Remember to join us the first Wednesday of each month for another ADA topic. And you can call 1-800-949-4232 for answers to your ADA questions.